John chapter 20, verse 19. A few weeks ago, my wife began this series by having us look at Luke chapter 15, where it talks about having a heart for the one. God has always been interested in one. As a matter of fact, you know, in common mathematics, if you, if you multiply anything by one, what do you get? The same sum, right? But in God's math, he will take one to multiply exponentially to bring about another sum that's bigger, better, larger than you can ever imagine. This whole thing about, about uh, humanity began with one man, Adam. And with one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. But through one man, Jesus, redemption came and saves us. Oh, that's good news right there. We can, we can like have church just on that right there. The power of one. Mm, I wish there was one who understood that only one. It only takes one. Oh, don't let me get started right now. It's all about one. The nation of Israel was started through Abraham. One person having one son. One. God. Jesus goes to a, to a village in Samaria. And he has a, 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 a meeting with one woman. And through one person's change, the entire city comes to God. I wish there was one person in this building. You know what? God doesn't need all, all 1,000 of us. He can take one person to change this city. Amen? Amen? There's power in one. And so in Luke 15, it says that all of heaven rejoices when one person turns to the Lord. God will throw an entire party in, in, in heaven for one person who says, yes, Lord, you can use me, Lord. Do something new with my life, Lord. It only takes one. It only takes one. That should be a song. I don't know. Jesus in John chapter 20 shows us how he returns for one person. Just as a good shepherd leaves the 99 sheep to go and pursue the one sheep that has strayed, he comes back for one person. Just as the woman who rejoices after finding a coin. I, I mean, I, I was going to save this for next week, but I will go ahead and just give it to you right now. Is it okay if you get next week's sermon right now? Yeah. I might have to switch it up now for next week, but it's okay. I'll do a little remix. You know, I used to be a DJ. Remix? Okay. In, in, in Luke chapter 15, you, you see uh, a shepherd... Who, who leaves 99 sheep to go and pursue one sheep that has gone astray. And then there's a woman who loses one of her 13 coins. And she, she goes into a spring cleaning mode just to find this one coin. Have you ever been so broke that $5 means the world to you? I'm only speaking to folks who live in Orange Crest right now. I don't know. <laughs> so broke that you turn the, the, the room upside down. What's wrong? How come your room looks like an Armageddon? I lost a quarter. I gotta find that quarter, brother. <laughs> and so what you see in, in the last coin is you see value. Someone who misses value in one unit of, of, of currency. And then in another story, you see a shepherd who, who leaves 99 sheep to go find one. I look at that, and I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. Any businessman would understand that you have 99 other sheep that are safe. Don't worry about the one that has strayed. That one is stupid. As a matter of fact, if you understand biology, you can mix your accounting with biology here. You know that the other 99 sheep, you could take one of them and put them in a room with another one and put on some Marvin Gaye or some Chris Brown or whatever it is that you use. And boom, boom, boom. 
another sheep will come about. <laughs> Why are you going to worry about the one that has strayed when you can get more? And what it tells us is that, number one, God has value on you that he'll turn the world upside down in order to find one. The other thing is that God really, really, really cares about the welfare of the one that has been lost. Yes, he has 99 others that are fine, but I am so glad that when, when, when heaven was having a party for all the saints that have gone before us, Jesus was like, I still have to find Maria. I still have to find Jonathan. I still have to find Nikki. I still have to find Marcus. I still need to find Alex. I still have room for this one person that I value and that I care about. Heaven was not satisfied without you in it. Oh man, that's good stuff right there. That's good stuff, Kevin. That's amazing stuff that God waited to 2015 and he's still waiting for those that he's electing for his kingdom, amen? amen? Oh man, that's good news. John chapter 20, verse 19, it says, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. On that evening of that day, what's his, what has happened up until this point is that these disciples have been following Jesus for three and a half years. Three and a half years of them walking with Jesus. Three and a half years of them abandoning everything that they held on to, to follow Jesus. Some of them, it is said, gave up their businesses, gave up their fishing business, gave up their, their tax collection booth, left their families to follow this rabbi from Nazareth. What are you thinking, Living, leaving a lucrative business to follow this man? Because they were banking that this man had the answer for all humanity. Believing that Jesus was going to come and take care of the oppression of the Romans. They, they were looking for someone that they could crown, but what they did not understand that before you can get to a crown, you must go through a cross. So they followed him, believing that, that oh man, oh, we, 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 we got on the, on the money train. Mm -hmm, we're on the money train right now. We, we got in on the Microsoft uh, stock right before it went IP. You know what I'm talking about. You, they felt as if they were really on the cusp of something great. And so for three and a half years, they're following Jesus. They see the things happening. They see him turn water to wine. They see him going to the synagogue and, and teaching the word. They see him healing the blind, healing the, the lame, and seeing all these things. They see him feeding 20,000 people. And they're like, it's about to go down. It's happening right now. We got the right guy. Surely he's going to be king. Surely. Not only is he going to be king, but he's going to name me chief CEO of Israel. And, and I'm going to be vice president of, of sending people to hell. I, I mean, they were coming up with their own positions and platforms because they got in at the right time. But then right at the apex of his popularity. They say by the time Jesus was about to get crucified, he had over 100,000 followers, not on Twitter, on foot. People who would gather around him, people who were hanging on every word that he would say. But right as he got to the apex of his popularity, he started speaking crazy, man. 
They're like, we're about to go to Jerusalem. It's about to happen, Thomas. It's about to happen, Peter. Mm -hmm. it's, it's about to go down. And then Jesus starts talking about sacrifice. He starts talking about, about the Son of Man is going to be handed over to the Romans. No, Jesus, you're going to hand the Romans some judgment, right? No, the Son of Man is going to be handed over to the Romans and, and he's going to be arrested and he's going to be beaten. He's going to be spat upon and, and, and you're going to scatter and you're going to, be, you're going to de deny me. And, and the disciples are like, mute, nope, change the channel, Jesus. This is not what we signed up for. And they do what most of us do. The moment the word of God starts contradicting what we wish in our life. They tuned him out. I will listen to you when you're preaching from Genesis and the blessing of Abraham. But when you get to Leviticus, no thank you. I will listen to you when you're talking about blessings and, and, and glory and, and God just being the, the water of life. But when you start talking about self-sacrifice and submission and walking in humility, that's the point that I fall asleep. And they get to Jerusalem and he's arrested. One of the disciples had orchestrated the events that he'd get arrested, thinking that, that by placing Jesus in this predicament, all of a sudden he would accelerate God's Have you ever tried to accelerate God's plan the way you wanted it to be? Jesus is arrested and turned over to the Romans. And the disciples are like, okay, this is not working out. I know that we've been in problems before. Remember that time where we thought we weren't going to be able to feed the people and he kind of kept us on the edge of our seat? He's doing that right. Wait a minute. They're just, they, they just stripped him of his clothing. He's hanging on a cross now. And with the death of Jesus came the death of their dreams. And they scattered. The text tells us that they were locked up in the room filled with fear. Filled with fear. They were locked up in a room. Now, you, you can read that and just think that it's just like a simple deadbolt. It's locked. But rather, imagine, they just saw their leader killed. In those days, when your leader dies, guess what happens to the followers? They follow him into that death. So here they are, they're like, they're coming for us. They have fear for the Jews. If they have crucified Jesus, surely we're next. They've got the windows boarded up. They've got a dresser against the door. They've got, they've, Peter's got another knife. Waiting. They're like, it's, it's over for us. Filled with fear. The founders of our faith. Filled with fear. This is, this is the, the, the dimension of separation where disciples are now being, being separated from being a disciple to being just a fan. And, and they're filled with fear. This is the moment where eagles are being brought down, where they're starting to admit, perhaps we were wrong about him. It takes a big person to admit that they were wrong. Perhaps coming up with stories of what they were going to tell their friends. Yeah, for the last three and a half years, I wasted my life. Well, thank God, I can turn a new leaf. Thinking about their credibility, filled with fear. I'm so glad that in my moment of fear, 
In my moment of anxiety, Mike, in my moment of, of complete turbulence, in my moment where I don't see past the future, past the, 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 the situation I'm in right there, it tells me that Jesus came to them and stood in their midst. I love the fact that Jesus comes to me more than I come to him. I know that some of you believe that, well, it was 1997 where I came to the Lord. You didn't come to the Lord. Jesus found you. Jesus came to your rescue. You didn't come to rescue Jesus. You didn't seek the Lord. He sought you out as the good shepherd. So that Jesus came and stood among them. That, that could preach right there. We could have church just on that. Jesus came and stood among them. If you're taking notes, that's my first point. Jesus, Jesus came and stood in the middle of their fear. Jesus came and stood in the middle of their anxiety. Jesus came and stood in the middle of their, of their confusion, in the middle of their worry, in the middle of their stress, in the middle of their storm. Jesus came and pitched his tent amongst them. Emmanuel came. God became with us. I love the fact that Jesus does not wait for the environment to be just right. A lot of times we, we, we do this thing like, you know, I got to set the mood. And if, when the mood's right, when the music is playing right, when you, we've got the nice Maranatha music playing. Some of you are like, what's Maranatha music? Yes. <laughs> Welcome to Christianity. <laughs> You'll discover it in five years. Then Jesus can come. When, when I've got my head clear, when things are going just right, then Jesus can enter my situation. The thing is that Jesus, I love the way Jesus makes an entrance. He steps into my fear and stands in the middle of it. He steps into the middle of my storm. I mean, you remember, Jesus sends the disciples after feeding the 5,000 says, go on, I'll meet you on the other side of the sea. Get in this boat and just, I'll meet you over there. And while they're in the middle of the, of, of the sea, a storm comes and they think that they're about to die. And Jesus comes sea walking. Fear not. He doesn't wait for the waters to be calm. To step into our situation. He walks right into our fear. Right into the middle of our storm and preaches the message that touches every heart on this earth. He says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I am the Prince of Peace and I give you my peace. It's not something that you go and pursue in a job, pursue in a relationship, pursue in a situation, but rather if you will receive what I give you, you will have what I have to give you. Peace be with you. Simple sermon, four word sermon, peace, be with you. You know that your dreams have, have been dashed through the events that have just taken place. You know you've heard, I know that you've heard the rumors of, of, of a resurrection. What I've come to bring you is peace in this moment. Verse 20 says, he, when he has said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. The disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
It's interesting to me how a lot of times we can be so caught up with our fear and the Lord is in the middle of our situation, but we're so caught up with our fear, measuring the fear, measuring the anxiety, taking pills for the fear, taking all kinds of steps. And, and, and when you stop looking at your fear and start looking at the Lord, your fear just subsides. It says that when they stopped and saw the Lord, they were glad. The atmosphere changed. The atmosphere that was filled with confusion, anxiety, and fear was completely changed in the moment that they looked at the sacrifice of the Lord. They saw the prince in his hand. They saw the print in his side. And immediately they recognized, this is our Savior. It says that gladness entered the room. And then Jesus goes on and says, peace be with you. He repeats himself. And says this, he says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Let me tell you something, guys. This is not a message that was just reserved for the ten men that were in that room. This is the universal message for every believer that has placed their hope on Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He says this, he says, as the Father sent him. To come and incarnate himself into our context, eat our food, walk in our streets, know our culture, completely know who our neighborhood is. The same way that Jesus came, not as mighty God, but as humble servant, he sends you on the same path Amen. to live a life walking in sacrifice, a life of taking up a cross and lifting him up as the Father has sent me. So I send you. Now, the thing is this. We can be nice and spiritual. Like, you know, as the Father sent Jesus, he has sent me. But the thing is this, is that how, how awesome, how, how frightening is that call? A, a lot of times we'll look at our own selves and say, like, Jesus, I'm not qualified. I don't have the letters behind my name. I don't have the experience. I just got saved this morning. And the thing about Jesus, Jesus is so cool, man. I mean, he's, he's just cool. Have you met people who kind of give you half the instructions or half the half of what you need, you know? And they tell you, just, just figure it out. You're, you're smart. You can figure it out. Jesus does not say, as the Father has, has sent me, so I send you, Broderick. He doesn't say, and if you want to know how to live a life on mission, www.google.com, figure it out. There's a YouTube tutorial on how to be a disciple maker. He doesn't say that. Very next thing he does is this, it's the awesome gift. It says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. The very same power that rose me up from the grave is now imparted upon you. The very thing that seals your salvation also comes upon you to give you power to be a witness in Jerusalem, a witness in Colton, a witness in Moreno Valley, a witness in Riverside, a witness in Paris, a witness in Hemet. Just receive the Holy Spirit. He does not leave it up to you by yourself in your own strength, in the faculty of your reasoning, 
in, 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 the, in the degrees that you've earned, in the promotions you've received, in the finances that you've accumulated. He says, none of those things will equip you for what I have for you from the Father. All you need is my spirit. And if you'll take it with my spirit, you'll turn the world upside down. It only takes one person filled with the spirit to see a change in our city. Amen, somebody? Jesus gives him the spirit. And then he says in verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now I used to, you can look at that text and just kind of take it by face value. Like, okay, well, so, so Jesus is basically saying that I now have the power. <coughs> For some of your family members, this would be a devastating thing. Because you'd be playing duck, duck, damn. I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Ooh, whoa, <laughs> hey, I'll come back. I forgive Anthony. <laughs> no, forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Whoever you forgive, they'll be forgiven, but... But the thing is, is that sometimes we withhold the message of forgiveness from people who are dying with guilt. We withhold it because we, we Mike, we, we've, we've bought into this humanistic gospel version of the Bible that tells us that we're supposed to preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, when there's no other resort, use words. It's not in the Bible. And I'm still trying to find the document where St. Thomas said that. It's not, it's not been found. Francis it is. The thing is this, is that there are people at your workplace who you might be withholding forgiveness from. They're searching for it. They're looking for it. They're crying out for it. You go to a Facebook timeline and you'll see all over people who are in dire need of the message of forgiveness. And, and we withhold because we're unwilling to say Jesus has risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. And because of that, there's some good news that you need to know applies to your life. I'm telling you, we can no longer live lives where we're withholding, keeping to ourselves. I'm a Christian, but it's my private faith. I'm a Christian, but I, you know, I know that your life really sucks, but I want to keep this to myself. Keeping the peace that he spoke into your life to yourself. This peace that he says be with you is a peace that you're supposed to share and tag. And pass it on to someone else. But we withhold it so many times. For fear. And Jesus is like, I've given you the spirit. It's not a spirit of fear. I've given you the power to be a witness. And I've given you your margin. You want to know what your purpose in life is? As the Father has sent him, so he sends you. Your job at the accounting firm is nothing more than, 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 than the support system to help you be on mission for Jesus. Your job at Chick-fil-A, being nice to people, saying it's my pleasure, is nothing more than your support system for you to be on mission for Jesus. Whatever it is, it's nothing more than a support system for you to be on the mission of God in your city. We don't live lives 
sending missionaries, we live lives being on mission for Jesus. We are a group of sent people commissioned to bring peace to our city and nation. Amen, somebody? Amen. Is it good to, so far? <coughs> Come on, sometimes a pastor needs affirmation too. <laughs> Verse 24 is where we get to the problem. It says, now Thomas, who was called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Thomas, who was called the twin, was not with them. He didn't make the meeting. Jesus had told them to be together, but he wanted to go do his private faith somewhere. He was disappointed in Jesus. Disappointed in this whole thing that he had been committed his life to for the last three and a half years. Do you know anybody who's disappointed with the church? Ticked off at the deacons who, 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 I won't even go there. Some of you guys don't know what deacons are, so never have to deal with a deacon. Welcome to Relevant Church. You'll never deal with a deacon. <laughs> Ticked off because of what elder so-and-so said to them and what sister so-and-so did and, and, and how they, they maligned the person. And, and, and now they're just kind of in this place where they're just kind of like, I'm, I'm not going to associate with those church people. I'm not going to be around them. And so they miss the meeting. And here's what I'll say. This is for free. It's not in my notes. <laughs> You don't see Jesus going to find Thomas wherever he is by himself. Jesus always appears and speaks peace in the midst of the disciples. You'll catch that in two days. It's a time release capsule. <laughs> two days from now when you're thinking, you know what, maybe I should just do church by myself in my closet. Time release. <laughs> Jesus always appears in the midst of the disciples. Go back to church. Jesus, Thomas was not there with them. And here we see Jesus coming back for one person. The disciples go up to Thomas and they're like, Thomas, oh my gosh, you would not believe this, Thomas. He showed up. We had the doors locked, the windows shut down. We had to dress up against it. We, we had the place. Peter had a gun. I don't know where he came up with a gun, but he had it. And we were, there, we were there, and all of a sudden, whoosh, Jesus showed up. Man, it was Star Trek. He was there. What did he say? He said, peace be with you. Okay. Now, here's the thing. Is this, Alex, you, you've, been, you've been to a church service. Have you, some of you have been to it. <laughs> have you ever received secondhand information from someone, and you just did not translate Church people know, know what I'm talking about. You go to a church service and it's like the Shekinah glory comes out. There's a, it's like, it's amazing. It's like, oh my gosh. And, and you still have the praise, the praise face on you. You know, you, you, go, you go home with a praise. Praise face is not pretty. It's ugly, okay? Makeup is running. Hair is disheveled. It's like, where are you coming from? I was at church, man. What happened there? Oh my gosh, God. And, and you, you still have the, the praise tears. You know, it's just amazing. What happened? The pastor told us to turn to John 3.16. 
Jesus loves me. And you're just kind of like, uh-huh. Yeah, but he really, and heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss, and my heart turns on the inch, and I'm just like, he loves us, oh, how he loves us. And you're just kind of like, yeah, yes, yes, glory to God. He does love us a lot. You don't understand. It's just like the Spirit of God started to speak to my life. And he told me about when I was five years old. He healed me. And you're just kind of like, okay, cool, right on. Because you weren't in the atmosphere. Because you weren't in the charged atmosphere. You weren't there to, to smell the atmosphere, feel the anointing of God. The tangible feeling of his presence did not speak to you. So the secondhand information does not translate to you. Thomas is like, he said, peace be with you, and that's it? Listen, Mira. Tomasito says. Escúchala. Unless I see it, touch it, I will never believe it. Unless I experience it for myself, all you're saying is gibberish. And Jesus comes back. For, it says eight days later. Eight days later. Eight in the Bible, I've been told, is the number of new beginnings. Uh, eight days later, uh, Jesus comes back. And, and, and finds the disciples in the same room. Eight days later, the disciples were inside again. And Thomas this time was with them. Although the doors were locked, same situation, Jesus came and stood among them once again, and he said the same sermon, peace be with you. This would be like Mark, who was not in church last week, or maybe you were, he was not in church. This message is for you, Mark. This would be like Mark coming here this week. And I looking at the rest of you saying, guys, listen, Mark wasn't here last week. And so therefore, I'm going to preach the same message again just for Mark. Mark missed the experience last week. You are filled up with faith, but the reason why I've come back eight days later is simply so that Mark can receive what you received. I care so much about Mark. I value Mark's salvation so much that I've come back to give an encore presentation of the same message. I've come back for one. I've come back for one person to give them one message that will make them one with myself and one in their soul. Jesus comes back for one person. Same message. I, I, I love this. Do you mind if we go take a, two more minutes to just unpack something else? Is that okay with you? I sometimes look at scripture and I'll argue with God. God, you're wasting words. I like Cliff Notes versions of everything. And right now, God, you're sounding to talk like a woman. Like a woman. It's true. Men are Twitter. Women are blogs. 
My wife would ask me, how was your day? It was great. It was good. How was your day? Well, this morning I woke up and then I, my makeup was just like, you know, I just realized that I need to go to Sephora. And then I'm at Sephora and when I get, get there, then Susie called me and Susie was like, you know what, that's such, you know, they're, yeah, they're having problems again. But you know what, I was praying for them and it was like 20 minutes later, I'm just kind of like, uh-huh, and then what happened? Uh-huh, and then what happened? Are you for listening to me? Yes, I'm listening. You just told me about um, a dinner. Am I preaching to anybody? This is my own time. <laughs> I, I wonder sometimes why God would, would waste words. I mean, how many disciples were named Thomas of the twelve? There's only one, right? We don't need to know that he was called the twin. But for some reason, the Spirit of God put that in the scriptures, I believe, for us to understand something about ourselves. This kind of crystallized in my mind as I was on Instagram praying. I'm scrolling through Instagram and I was like, my goodness, man, these people are eating good. They're taking pictures of their food. That's how they eat. Goodness gracious, man. Showing pictures of their weight loss. This was me before and this is me after. And I'm like, my goodness, I need to join. Taking pictures of their fabulous vacations in Hawaii, their, their fabulous, fantastic lives. And, and, and I'm seeing all this, I'm just kind of like, my gosh, man, I need to go take some pictures. Zion, where are you? <laughs> go to Facebook, you see Facebook fronts of people's beautiful lives and awesomeness. And, and it hit me, every one of us has a twin. There's this ideal you, then there's this real you. This ideal you that is a, a pillar of faith and power. I will pray for you. And on the inside, the real you is like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do it? The ideal you that puts on Facebook, I love my husband, he's the best. Oh my gosh, we have the most amazing life. And the real you is like, I want to kill him. I'd say to you is this is that Jesus did not die for the ideal you he didn't die for the representative he died for the real you and he comes back for the one in order to make him one and not to allow him to live a life of duplicity with his twin but rather to be one with God one with himself Jesus comes back for the one There may be some of us here who are filled with fear, fronting on one side that you're filled with faith, but on the inside you're dying and are paralyzed with fear. Pretending to live in purpose and faith, but on the inside you're begging for some evidence. Some of you know a Thomas who's never made the meeting yet. And here's the truth. Jesus is coming back and he wants to find that Thomas 
in the midst of the disciples. Who's the Thomas in your life? Can I show you how God is so faithful? When Thomas meets Jesus again, Jesus grabs Thomas' hand and says, touch my hand. See this nail print? Touch my side. The thing about that is that when Jesus first came, he never had the other disciples touch him. He just showed them. But he knew that the way to get to Thomas' heart was through an act that would speak to Thomas' doubt. And here's what happens. When you bring the Thomases into the house, Jesus will specifically speak to their doubt and the Holy Spirit will fill them with faith. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's get rid of the twin. Let's allow God to minister to the real us so he can give us real salvation. Let's invite the Thomas, the one, so that Jesus can make another encore presentation. The tomb is empty and the resurrection life can now be given to them.